0: Well, our topic tonight is the existence of God and the problem of pain. It goes like this. If you Christians believe that God is the designer, he's the creator, then if he's the one who designed this world, the universe, earth, everything in it, he created it, then why are there so many things in what he created that cause pain and suffering? And what we're going to try to do tonight is give a biblical answer because that is a question that many people will bring up. In some cases it can be a, a smokescreen argument or they really don't want to confront the claims of the gospel. But for some people it may be a genuine question if God is good and if everything we see is designed by Him, then it almost seems like He designed it in such a way that it didn't, it wasn't safety first. You ever heard that before? Well let's go in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter uh, chapter ten and verse twelve. This is what the Bible says. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens right here we see that it's God who is all-powerful, right? He made the earth by His power. Not only that, but He established the world by His wisdom, speaking of God's intelligence and His moral knowledge about there's nothing that ever occurred to God. God never had to consult a philosophy book. He never had to talk to a science teacher. Everything that is has come from God as far as knowledge. And then by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. So what the Bible's telling us is that God created everything that is. Amen? Amen. All right. Now we've kind of got the issue that many people uh, want to try to pin us on. But what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to take a look at a few uh, evidences of what some people call fine tuning. And fine tuning is the, the evidence that the earth and the universe have been created. Like, if gravity was just a little bit off, life wouldn't be possible, and so forth and so on down the line. So what we're going to do is look at, look at a quick video here, and then we're going to jump into evidence that the universe has been designed, not randomly created, and then we're going to try to use that to point people right to Jesus. So here we go. into one inch increments and then stretched across the entire universe a distance of some 14 billion light years. For the purposes of illustration, the ruler represents the possible range for gravity. In other words, the setting for the strength of gravity could have been anywhere along the ruler, but it just happens to be situated in exactly the right place so that light is possible. Now, if you were to change the force of gravity by moving the setting just one inch compared to the entire width of the universe, the effect on life would be catastrophic. No large-scale life forms could exist. Anything that was more than the size of a pea would be completely crushed. So you might be able to get life of a very, very primitive sort, such as bacteria, but you could never get conscious observers. The strength of gravity is just one of at least 30 separate parameters that must be finely tuned to produce a life-sustaining universe. Another example is the cosmological constant. <laughs> The cosmological constant describes the expansion speed of space in the universe. If space expands too quickly, then the universe is spread out so quickly that material objects can't form. So you can't get stars and galaxies and planets and types of things that we, of course, take for granted in our universe. Physicists have determined that the cosmological constant is fine-tuned to one part in a hundred million, billion, 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 billion. Such precision has been compared to traveling hundreds of miles into space, then throwing a dart at the Earth, and hitting a bullseye measuring one trillionth of a trillionth of an inch in diameter, an area less than the width of a single atom. Just consider those two parameters, gravity and the cosmological constant, Their level of fine-tuning is to a precision of one part in a hundred million, trillion, 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 trillion. I mean, that's like one atom in the entire known universe. So, maybe a little bit of evidence for (laughs) fine-tuning. Wouldn't you say... When you look at something like that, it causes for me questions for people who who say, "Well, everything just just happened, right?" And they say, "Every it, it just all it just automatically happened. The stuff blew up, right? The, the, the big bang. There was an uncaused creation." Say, "Well, well, how can you have something that's that's uncaused and it and it bring everything into existence? How how does something come from nothing?" All right. So here's here's basically the the argument here um, that we're going for. Number one, the cosmos or the universe is designed. Number two, the signs of design are evident. And if I don't know if we're going to be able to get to it, but we're going to look at some some a lot of interesting uh, examples of that. Not just like out in space, but in biology and cells and so forth. That that would lead us to believe that it's been designed. Number three, these signs point toward a designer. Do y'all agree with that? that you know, design, that's some of the main idea, you know, it's kind of like design equals designer, okay? So it's, it's super deep. Some people, you know, we'll look at it just a minute, Richard Dawkins saying, well, it doesn't, but uh, I think he's wrong. So number four, it does not claim, this argument, that all structures and processes of this design creation now exhibit perfection. In other words, when we talk to people about, There's evidence of intelligent design. We're not saying that everything in the universe is now as God created it then. Anybody want to take a stab at anything that the Bible has to say about that? That what we see now is not what God originally created or it's not in the same state that God originally created it in? Absolutely. The flood, right? Not only just the topography of the earth, but it could have, you know, messed up the atmosphere. People lived a lot longer back then. Uh, you know, maybe that's because they didn't have fast food. I mean, I, I I don't know, but there's a lot of interesting arguments there. That's true. All right. The earth has been affected. This goes back to, to something very basic. God created Adam and Eve morally perfect. There was no drama. There was no sin, no slavery, no divorce, no fighting, no anger. They were created morally perfect. But today, what can you safely say without even fearing being wrong about every single person that's born today? Sinner. Like you're saying, okay, this is not a probability. There's a certainty. I'm willing to bet everything I have in the bank, and I'm willing to take out a loan to say that this person is a sinner. Not only do they have the nature, but they will sin. So, let's just go with this thought. If we have a world that's been ravaged by sin and disease and sickness, and then it's full of moral agents, people like us, but every single one of those persons is born with the desire for self, as opposed to, if we want to get sermonic about it, like self as opposed to service, then is it any wonder why we see design in the world, but yet not everything in the world we see is good? And so that's something that, that's very, very important to point out to people. And this is basically, um, I guess, uh, if you wanted to put the Bible in just stages, we've got creation, fall, and then a lot of that. Throughout the Bible, the old the whole Old Testament, right? Past chapter you know three or so, and then you get to the redemption, which is Jesus, God sending Jesus, and then we're between the redemption and the glorification. The glorification is when he comes back, he makes everything brand new. So that's something helpful to, to, to guide people through because a lot of people look at this and say the first step, well, if God created everything, but everything that we see, I mean the discovery channel. Have y'all watched the Discovery Channel lately? I mean Shark Week a few months ago. There's one particular shark, and um, the one that is is born, that one ate its brother or sister. I mean they're they're literally cannibals inside the womb. When you look at any type, and Sue could, Sue's the science expert. She could tell you all sorts of stuff about you know animals and their. I mean they they it's red tooth and claw the whole way. But people sometimes think, well, if God created it, then did he create something that was bad? And so the question or the objection goes like this. How could a good God design things that bring suffering? That's the question. Now, sometimes people may not even say that, but they think it, they feel it. Here's a few uh, responses that we could give. Number one, if you're talking to an agnostic or an atheist, and they say, Well, how could a good God design things that bring suffering? What did they just do? They just admitted there's a designer. They just gave over the whole argument. Now, a lot of times people will have problems with the, the character of the designer, right? They're saying, well, just because I see problems with the designer's character, like if I were designing the universe, I wouldn't have designed it in this way. So they're not saying that there's no evidence for design. They're saying they don't think God did a good job. And the difference between that is is night and day. Uh, number two, you and I, this is something helpful to guide people through, you and I live in a fallen world. We'll read uh, Romans chapter 8 in just a few minutes. And then number three, help them to see that Jesus suffered, Right? That's a, that's a basic point. If we've been around the scriptures, all oh, Jesus suffered, but yet he triumphed through that suffering. Um, don't don't do this. Don't bite on the de, on the defend God against being a bad designer. Uh, show how show how he he played the whole way uh, and was able to conquer through that. So the design thing. Um, it's an issue with the character of the designer. And that's very, very helpful when you're talking to people because some people are angry at God. Don't you think, have you, ever, have you ever talked to someone and they were angry at God? They were angry at God, number one, if He exists, He did a bad job because He allowed me to be born into this family or to have these limitations. And then some other people, they're mad at God for not existing. They really are. Because they say, God, I I, I, I asked for help. I ask you to help me in this situation, and I never got an answer. So now they're angry at God for not existing. So it's kind of like wanting to have your cake and eat it too. But it's very, very important to help them see that their issue is not with science in the Bible. Their issue is an emotional hurt that they link to God. And if people can see that, then you can guide them to Jesus who will be able to help them um, navigate through that. So Romans chapter 8. We're just going to walk through this. This will probably take a, bu- a bulk of the time. Romans chapter 8 and verses 18 through 25. This to me is the most important verse when someone says we live in a bad world. If God designed it, then how can we believe that God is good? Here's what the text says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So right there in verse 18, the Apostle Paul is letting us know that this is not all that there is. And that's a good truth. When things are going well, you know, we're able to pay the bills. Things are fine at home. We have friends. A lot of times... We don't think too much about heaven. But the Apostle Paul here says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth, they're not able to be compared to what we'll be in. Now think of some of the sufferings that the Apostle Paul went through. Acts 14, he was stoned, and they stoned him to the point that they actually thought he was dead, right? They're like, he's dead. Well, you think he's dead? I think he's dead. And they stoned him and left him for dead. Not only that, but he was shipwrecked I mean, I've been dumped out of a canoe before, but that doesn't count. I mean, literally shipwrecked in a hurricane type of weather pattern. And then he had been freezing. He had been burning up. He had been in danger uh, from robbers. He had been in danger from false brothers, false brethren, as he says. And that's what we would understand as being stabbed in the back. All of those things, physical torturing, being lied about, See, Apostle Paul, he's not, he's not talking here um, about, about having losing your job. As painful as that may be, right? He's talking about really, really hardcore stuff. And he's saying that you could suffer the utmost in this life, but compared to what Jesus has waiting for you, it will cancel out all of that. It far outweighs it. And in verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So those verses right there, once again, the Apostle Paul is saying that what we see here is not what it was designed to be. And what we see here is not what God will ultimately make it. Now, that's good news. That's good news if you're doing mission trips in the third world, and that's good news to people here in the U.S. who are going through really brutal stuff. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Right here, the Apostle Paul is saying that nature is messed up. Okay? Evidence of this: earthquakes. Now, I remember was it was it 2010 or 2011 that we had the Great Virginia earthquake? Does anybody remember? 2011. 2011. Y'all remember the pictures going? What's that? 2011. Hey, do y'all remember that? There were pictures going around afterwards, and it and it had a. A lawn table and then three lawn chairs and then one of them was knocked over and it said the great Virginia earthquake. We will rebuild, you know. So it's that we, we had, we have pretty good weather here. I mean, to compare when I lived in Texas, there were some times that you would be driving home from work and it would just be a black wall cloud. We get that sometimes, but I mean, it was just like, it's, it's about, it's about to be on. I mean, it would just literally rain cats and dogs, like literally, not really, but I mean, it was, it was crazy. I lived in Florida. We had to board up for hurricanes that came through. When I lived in South Georgia, my family had to come up to stay with me for one of the hurricanes that came through. And it was in the, one of the hurricanes, my parents didn't leave, that there's a great video that I could show you. It will encourage you in your walk with Christ because it shows you how stupid people really are it's my two youngest brothers and they're they're out there running down the street doing this like they're barely able to run in the middle of the hurricane hurricane wilma 2005 and they've got on their goggles and they've got on wigs they're they're insane and the video ends like this jordan justin and it's my mom and the video kind of closes out and you can you can hear as the music goes down mom's voice goes up it was awesome <laughs> But she said, don't laugh at them. They only do it because you laugh. i like, I can't help it. I mean, they're, they're running down the street like that, getting blown back. Insane. So the, the reason why those examples, I think, can, can be humorous is because for a lot of us, they're so common. How many of y'all stopped what you were doing when you heard of the last earthquake around the world and just stopped there and stared at the TV for 15 minutes and didn't move? And like, I can't believe it? Why none of us? Tsunamis? And and not, not just natural evil. The thing in, in uh, it, Oklahoma City the area a few months ago. All that. We don't even think about it. Now let's think about not just the creation itself as far as the physical uh, world, but the people. Some people say this. They say, if God doesn't judge America he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I think that may have been a Billy Graham quote. You know, a lot of times those quotes get remanufactured and, you know, so it could have been anybody. But I just, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. I think it's something good for us to think about. Um, if people, and I'm, I'm very, I think most of y'all know this, I'm very pro-Constitution. I think the Constitution's a great idea. I think if you want to be able to Carry a weapon to defend yourself. I think that you have that right. Okay, But a lot of us, we don't ever stop and think that we now live in a society to where average people are feeling the need, get this, to carry a weapon because they don't know next time they bring their family to the mall if somebody's going to come in and try to kill everybody there. And that's a totally reasonable thing to do for people this day who have families to say, I want to make sure that I protect my... That's the thing. It's not a crazy idea. It's actually a very rational idea to say, I'm going I'm to be prepared to meet force with force because I care for my, my family and for other innocent people. But here's the thing. We live in a society... To where that's becoming increasingly normal to where we have to arm ourselves with deadly force because there's no more trust in society. And how many of us stopped what we were doing and just couldn't believe about the mass, last mass shooting that we heard and they happen all the time? I don't. The first time, Columbine? I, no. No, no, that does not happen. People do not walk into school, students do not walk into school loaded, I mean like matrix, and just are unloading on all the, that doesn't, but today, it's normal. And it's not just at schools, it's everywhere. So it's the reason why we share that, going back to this verse, is that if that's not at least an angle of God's judgment, I don't know what is. A lot of times when we think about God's judgment, we think about fire and brimstone, you know, foreign invasion. But if God is allowing the U.S. to be given over to itself, to self-destruct from the inside, because that's what's happened to every great empire, every great country, then that could be just another example of God saying, you don't want me in your schools, you don't want me in your government, you don't want me in your life. I'll give you over, as it says in Romans 1, to a depraved mind, okay, And a depraved mind literally thinks wrong is right and right is wrong. So today, it's a vice, it's a bad thing for us to stay. Marriage is from God, it's for one man, one woman, for life. Okay, That's a bad thing to say in culture today. But it's a virtue to champion uh, what God's word says is sin. Okay, that's why, and and most of us realize that, but we're living in a world that's increasingly uh, becoming opposed to Jesus, and I think that is in part what the Apostle Paul says, not only as the physical world groaning, but we've got this moral corruption in people as well. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits Of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption and sons, the redemption of our bodies. And we as Christians, when we hear about suffering in the world, there's so much of it, but isn't there a little part inside inside of us that just groans? In a way, that may not be the best word that we use in English to communicate it, but there's something deep down that just said, this should not be. We hear about, you know, children overseas that, that, that are abused and, I mean, war and, and, and rape and these Christians that are being massacred all over Africa right now. I know this is kind of a heavy, heavy part, but there's something inside of us that's just burdened for these people. We hear about people here in the U.S. that don't, that are, that are hungry and so forth and so forth and so forth. The Bible says that our spirits groan. But it's not just that our spirit's grown for the brokenness of the world. We can't wait until we see Jesus. And a lot of Christians in the U.S., myself included, we have it very good. Don't we? And I just have to say, sometimes when we don't think that we have it good, we're looking at somebody who's on the Fortune 500 list. We're looking at somebody... who Look, if we have a vehicle, if we we're richer than most of the world's population. If we have a house... Even if it leaks, right? We're far <laughs> we're far richer than most of the world. If we have any type of ability to, to have more than just not just week to week or month to month, but day to day food and and money that we can save or invest, we have so much, and I think at least for me. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but the blessings that we've received can sometimes put like a wet blanket on this eagerly waiting to see Jesus. Now, do we want to see Jesus as believers? If we've been saved, definitely. But sometimes when it's quote-unquote good here, and for most people, good is being able to come home in the evening just lay back in that lazy boy and get get something to eat that may not be healthy at all, but it tastes good. You know what I'm saying? And then just kick back, put your feet up, turn on your favorite TV show, and you're just relaxing. Your brain doesn't have to do any work. I mean, that's just the digestive system that takes over from that point. And, And just something as trivial as that, I find, I don't know if you do, but it can get in the way of me eagerly waiting to see Jesus. And the people that were originally reading what Paul wrote, Jesus was all they had. It was. Even when it talks about even those in Caesar's household, that's so cool. Within, within one little generation there, this is, I guess, a, a side note, but that the Gospel, Jesus entrusted it into the hands of that small group of Jewish men Who were under the boot of the Roman Empire, that by the time the apostle Paul was writing his letters, he could write the letter and say, and those in Caesar's household. Now, I don't know about you, but that is mind blowing and it is encouraging to say that the gospel could go from the lowest part of first century Roman culture to actually within the house of the empire or of the emperor himself. So I think we as as Christians in the U.S. We have to be very, very careful that what we've been blessed with doesn't distract us from what we will be blessed with. Any, you any, all have any points on that? That was just a, something I thought that we needed to, to address because when we look at some of these texts where it seems like Christians, that's all that they can wait for. A lot of times in the U.S., we just don't because we've got so much going on here. <clears throat> Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees. Right? If we've got it here, then the hope has been fulfilled. But, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So if you're talking to a person... and I, I've talked to, and I'm, I'm 33, but just the amount of suffering that I've been able to see, and people have shared with me, and there's, I'm sure, tons more that people have not shared with me. The quiet suffering, for example, of be, of having a loved one and they no longer know who you are. That's suffering, to where you go and you try to minister to them and let them know that you love them, whether it's a husband or a wife or a mom or dad, and they no longer know who you are. That is an internal, brutal type of suffering or when you see someone slowly waste away through cancer, or someone dies quickly in a a freak accident of sorts, those things can cause us sometime, if we're not informed with what Scripture teaches, to say, well, if God is good, then why did He design this world in which it seems like all these things just run rampant? Well, we know that the world as it is now is not as God originally created it, right? Right? And so that's what this text teaches, that you and I live in a fallen world. And I think that as Christians we have to understand that. We have to emphasize that when people get sick, when people die. We live in a fallen world. In Luke chapter 13, remember that we've gone over this a million times, when the people were murdered in the temple by the Romans, when the tower fell on the 18 people and killed them. They said, well, did these people do something really, really wrong, that they deserve this? And Jesus basically gets to the point of saying, um, were they more wicked than all the other people living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you what? Anybody remember? Unless you repent, you all likewise Will perish. So Jesus is saying, in connection with, with Romans 8, because Jesus obviously agrees with Romans and you know the spirit of Christ is what inspired Paul to write, is that in this world when bad things happen, our question shouldn't be, God, why did you allow those things to happen? But, or why did those people die? Why did those people become ill? But rather the question is, why are any of us still alive? Right? That's the question. Because if we're sinners, then sin brings death. But then Jesus gives the story about the fig tree, and the fig tree wasn't producing any figs. If you're a fig tree, that's your job, right? It wasn't doing its job. And then the the farmer says, let's just cut it down. Don't even let it use up the ground. And then the guy who worked with the trees said, Sir, let me fertilize it, let me water it. And then give it another couple of years, and then if it doesn't bear fruit, then we can cut it down. And Jesus' point there, in the Old Testament, a fig tree was the symbol of Israel. One of the symbols of Israel. It was a message to the Jews that the reason why God has kept you guys here is to give you time to repent, and time to bring the fruit of repentance To allow God to change your life. And that's the reason why all of us are alive. If we've repented, it's for us to be able to plant and to water and encourage and share the gospel with other people so they can repent and know Jesus. Those are the questions that we have to ask. Not the questions, why did these things happen to me? Sure, we'll think those questions, but we have to have that biblical foundation. Of every breath that we take is evidence of God's mercy. That makes sense. You have to need a, a perspective. Someone needs a perspective on suffering. They need to do nursing home visitation. Mm. You know, yesterday, I was part of a team, and that was our distribution for the day was nursing homes. And you know that. You know where the next stop is. I mean, mm. it's either heaven or hell. I mean, mm. that's the next stop for those folks. And you go into the rooms and. And a lot of them couldn't communicate, but you can just see it in their eyes, you know. You can just see how lonely they are. Mm. Uh, They're so glad you came. Some grab a hold of you and will let go, you know. And Mm. so, if anybody needs a perspective on suffering or loneliness, Mm. do nursing home visitation. Mm. Uh, They're all so grateful. I only had one refusal of scripture. That's a good word. That's a good word. And and by the way, I think as far as our American context, that people in nursing homes fit within Matthew 25 to where Jesus talked about the least of these. And if you notice the theme that runs through all those, the people who didn't have food, people who didn't have clothes, the people who didn't have hope, the ones in prison. If you're in prison in that day, just kiss it goodbye. No hope. No Bill of Rights. And then those who were ill, those who were in suffering, to be able to go to those people today, and y'all know this. Some people today they put they put parents in nursing homes not because that's because they need the care there, but so they can just be put out of their life. Okay, and that's just, that's just another example of of our society and how it's how it's selfish. So. Um, that's a great way that we can can plug in with those people. And if y'all want to do any visitation, we have people in nursing homes we can um, set you up with. So here's our, here's our third point. <clears throat> number one, if people say, if God is good, then why did God create a world that produces suffering? We say, number one, you just admitted there's a designer. And then secondly, uh, we just covered that what we see now is not what God originally created. And number three, Jesus suffered and he triumphed. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning that Jesus is fully deity, but he didn't say, you know what, since I'm a part of the Trinity, got the Father, got the Spirit, I'm the Son, That's a thing that I'm just going to use for my own power. This is powerful right here. But emptied himself. By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Time out. This passage right here tells us that Jesus voluntarily subjected himself to experience the human condition. So when we're communicating with people that are going through serious, serious suffering, sometimes they can think if God is out there somewhere, He doesn't understand my suffering because I mean He's God, right? I mean God is God, created everything, you know, and you know, let there be light. All that. I mean that God doesn't understand me. Right here, Jesus was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross this is something that i think a lot of us can very easily gloss over that the fact that jesus not only became human not only did he suffer but he put himself under the gavel of god's Wrath and God's punishment on sin so that the rest of us could go free if we would only trust in Him. For people to see Jesus not as someone who's got just this halo around his head, but as a brutalized, murdered, lied about, mistreated, misunderstood, King of kings and Lord of lords, a humble carpenter when He didn't deserve any of that. He deserved the praise of all people's He deserved, you know, when they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they cut down the palm leaves, and they put the palm palm leaves there, and he was, you know, coming through the town. He deserved that from every single person ever born. But yet Jesus, because of his love, he put himself under the fists of people who had no mercy. And I think it's so important for people to not just intellectually connect with the facts of the gospel, but to have and this is from a Baptist pastor, to have an emotional connection with the sufferings of Jesus. And it goes like this. No one else understands what I'm going through. Let me read about Jesus. If Jesus went through that, and He is risen again, and He's alive right now, then that means that when I pray to Jesus, He knows what I'm talking about. He understands where I'm coming from. When I've experienced mental, physical, and emotional abuse, Jesus has gone through all of that. So he is the great counselor. You know, we, we always think that uh, well, God is God. He knows everything. He knows it. But in, in this sense, he, he knew it experientially. Mm. He knew it by experience, not just by knowledge. Great point. He would know every aspect of any kind of thing. He would know it because he's God. Mm. That's a great point that Jesus knew everything in an experiential way, and we, that that brings up a, a, an important point, like about helping people who are very needy. Uh, mission trips sometimes when, when you go into the jails nursing homes like how do, how do you communicate when you go into some of these people and they are on death's door how do you communicate that to someone else to see the family all broken and to it's almost like that smell of death if we don't want to get too gruesome is in the air and and it's, sometimes it's so hard to communicate that but if you've been there right if you've been there And I've been told that's the reason why many veterans don't like to talk about their wartime experience. Because if you haven't been there, then they're like, you're not going to be able to understand a word. You may get what the events that happen, but you won't understand. This is so revolutionary and so powerful that not only Jesus understands what it means to suffer, but he understands what we don't and what it is like to triumph over it to receive the death penalty, to walk through death's door, but yet what it's like to, as it says here in the text, therefore, right after it says that Jesus became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth And under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, that's what people need. If it's just a God who is abstract and a God who can explain everything to us but has never been through it, then that's like someone who can give you a list of all of the painful emotions that you're experiencing. They can explain it to you, but they can give you no hope to get through it. But then even more so, this is more than just a God who says, I know. sin, Satan's a punk. And sin is brutal. I get that. But if it just stops there, then God can give us something to identify with, but He can't give us hope, you see. But if it's that Jesus conquered death through receiving everything that death and hell had to throw at Him, then it's the whole package. And that's what we have to communicate to people, that Jesus understands. Like the old song, what a friend we have in Jesus. You know, and he, and then the other songs, and he walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me that I am his own. That people can understand that yes, God created a perfect world. Yes, sin entered into the world and things are now are not what they were. But that God is so strong that he entered into this world in human flesh, suffered, was brutalized but rose victorious from the dead. And He's the one who can not only give you the freedom of that burden of guilt for your sins, but He can allow you to triumph over people who have sinned against you. That's the point of the Gospel. So that people see Him for who He is, high, high and lifted out. Um, I know we got through maybe about Eleven percent of what we were going to cover tonight, but I just I just felt led to to do that, and we're even over time. Um, maybe we'll pick this up here in the next couple of weeks. But I thought that it was important that we use the intellectual arguments to get to the true issue, which is the heart. Which is the will and the conscience, cause that's truly what people need. Let it never be said for us that we're just rocking a Baptist church spouting off all this knowledge, cause we want to see people saved. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. That's what we need. And uh, so thank y'all for, for studying with me. Anybody have anything they'd like to share? Okay. Thank you. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's nothing lacking in you. In you is the fullness of joy. You are worth it. You're worth it. Even if heaven didn't have all the trappings that you tell us it does. Just to be with you. To have that fellowship and that, that relationship with you. It's worth it all. And would you help us, God, not to be distracted by blessings or by suffering. But we would, as the Apostle Paul writes, we would wait eagerly for our adoption, our homecoming to be with you. And that you would use us as ministers of hope in this dark world. And that we wouldn't just say, we know that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but it would just, this, this this depravity that we see in the world, it would just cause us to cling tighter to you and have a renewed confidence that, yes, the world is dark, but Jesus is stronger. So would you help us, God, never to back down? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.